Tonight is our third night in talking about the doctrine of the church. And the, the, big, the big word that we have for that is ecclesiology. just means, of course, remember uh, from uh, the last couple of weeks, ecclesia is, is the word used in the New Testament for church. So you can see why the word ecclesiology just means the study of the church or the doctrine of the church. And we're going to be talking about baptism tonight. We mentioned in the past how a Baptist distinctive, a Baptist doctrine that's um, not necessarily unique to us, but it, it very much marks Baptists, and in ways that it does not mark other um, denominations and, and uh, schools of thought. Regenerate church membership means that, that we believe that churches should be made up of people who have been converted. People who have been converted uh, by God, and so uh, so hopefully everybody has a paper. There are some there on the back on the back pew, and then some here on the front pew. So don't be bashful if you'd like to slip up and grab one if you didn't earlier. But uh, tonight I do have a funny story about baptism that I, I hope to be able to share. I don't hope to be able to. Share. I'm just going to share it right now. All right. There's no question about whether or not I can share it. Sometimes I just say things because they they flow off the tongue and they don't make any sense. But you know, the preachers do that sometimes. I even heard somebody tell a tell a really interesting story, and at the end of it, somebody asked him, "Now, is that true, or are you just preaching?" <laughs> Hopefully, everything I say is true. But I mentioned to you uh, that I was, I was meeting with a couple of uh, missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, you know, some folks call them Mormons. That's actually, they actually consider that to be a, a derogatory term. Uh, I, I don't really understand that because they call their choir the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, but they don't like to be referred to as Mormons. But anyway, I, th- I think initially, back in the 1800s, it was actually, it was actually like a, a slur, uh, so people... Uh, use that in a, in a poor way. So if you ever meet them, I would say just call them Latter-day Saints or LDS, members of the LDS church, um, just to extend some grace there. But anyway, I offered to meet with them and have, have uh, lunch with them. And, and so uh, we, we met down at the American Cafe in Guthrie. I'm trying, we're trying to support local restaurants and things like that. And so we took out from there and brought it back up here. Uh, they followed me to the church. And we ate up in the fellowship hall, a nice little socially distanced meeting. And I just told them, I, I want to hear, what, what would you tell me if you, if you had just come and knocked on my door? Just explain to me, uh, you know. And, and we, we kind of laid all of our cards out on the table, and I told them, you know, who I was and, and where I am and, and the things that I have studied in the past. And so I'm, I'm not completely ignorant, but there's a lot of questions I have. I just want to hear what you would say to somebody from, I want to make sure I understand it the way that you would explain it to someone. And so anyway, we talked and had, I thought, a really fruitful conversation at the end of it. I just, they did most of the talking. I asked some questions at the end of it. I said, would you just give me five or six minutes to share with you what I believe, what I believe the scriptures teach? And so I did that. I shared the gospel with them. And, and I believe there were a couple things in there that they, I don't believe had ever heard before. And so would you just pray that the Lord would use that conversation, that seed of the gospel planted, and that they would, um, that they would come to know Christ. But anyway, when we got done, they asked to look around in the church. I think they were just curious. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll give you the, the tour. I'll give you the, the dime tour, right? 
And so we walked around and they came in here and they wanted to, you know, they, they, were, they, they talked a little bit because they wanted to hear the acoustics. And we were talking about how the building was built, you know, in 1892, I believe, and back before microphones. And so the acoustics were very important. And then they, they were really interested in the baptistry. And, uh, you know, because they believe some things about baptism that are different from what we believe about baptism, which we're going to talk about tonight. And, and they said, can I, can I step up on the stage and, and look down into the, into the font? And I said, oh, the baptistry. And, and they said, yeah, whatever. And I said, sure. And I said, I'll even let you go around the back way and you can walk up the stairs and look down in it. And they said, okay, w- would you? And I said, sure. They walked up to the top of the stairs. And when they got to the top of the stairs, they said, could, could we walk down in it? And I said, listen, I'll baptize you if you're ready to convert. You know. So they laughed. I laughed. They didn't convert. But they walked down into the baptistry. So you can say that your pastor got two Mormons down into the baptistry, okay? This week. Two, two Latter-day Saints, right? Anyway, anyway. Just fine, fine young men. Enjoyed my conversation with them, uh, praying for them. Um, they understand baptism to be one of the five steps that gets you into heaven. So you see how it's, it's, it's like a, a work, and we kind of went back and forth on this a while. They believe that faith is one of the steps. It's a very interesting. Um, you know, Faith is almost something that we kind of muster up. We, it's, it's almost like they think of it as like a work that you do to, to make yourself pleasing to God. And so I, I was able to share within the gospel and, and a little bit of how we, we think that's a little bit different. The Lord opens the eyes of our hearts. We, we believe, we, we respond in faith, and we respond in baptism to the work that God has done in our hearts. It's not a work that we do that God then looks at and says, hey, because of the work you did, I'll let you into heaven, right? And so there's a little bit of difference there because we believe Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, so that no man can boast. So if salvation is a work that we do, then we get the glory. Because we got to do something that got us into heaven. So there's praise that should come to us if we did something to get ourselves into heaven. But we believe that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. All the glory to salvation goes to God and not to us. Anyway, uh, that's a big, long sidebar, but funny story attached to it. So, if you're looking on your papers, there's a little introduction. We have said in the past that regenerate church membership, which just means that the, the church membership should be made up of those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Um, this means that it is a fundamentally Baptist belief to have a church membership made up of genuinely converted believers. While no one can know the heart of another person, right? We're not over here judging the hearts of other people. We are called, though, to... to I mean, there is a way. Like, this is very anti-21st century. There is a sense in which the Bible calls us to judge one another. And it, I'm in a particularly interesting place to talk about this because the Bible says that you should judge me more strictly. And God will judge me more strictly, right? I'm a teacher. Not many of you should presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. Uh... You know, friends, you have total right to, to call me out if I start teaching something that's unbiblical, right? Because the congregation has the God-given authority to judge not only one another and the, the witness of, of the church membership, but the, the truth of the teaching that comes from the pulpit. I take that very seriously. Anyway, um, while no one can know the heart of another person, the biblical pattern of church life in Bible-believing Baptist churches 
has been to hold one another accountable, push one another toward holiness, and accept into membership only those who are repenting of their sins and following Christ in baptism. And, when necessary, to withdraw fellowship from those who stop giving evidence of having been changed by Christ. We talked about that a little bit last week when we read some funny stories from our church history. Funny, but serious. Uh, the way that we have demonstrated this is through believer's baptism. Believer's baptism shows what we believe about church membership, right? Um, in fact, it's impossible to separate baptism from regenerate church membership. But a couple of questions. Why, why do Baptists baptize by immersion only? In other words, going down into the water and back up. Why do we do that? Why do we accept into membership only those who have been baptized by a church, another church of, of like faith and practice? It's how most of most church covenants and, and uh, documents that churches subscribe to, that's, that's how most of them read. Why, uh, and furthermore, if baptism is just a picture, why does it matter? Why is it so important? So, I want to try to answer those questions. First off, we need a little bit of history. A little bit of history. So, from Christ until about the 3rd or 4th century, about 200 to 300 A.D., the pattern, there was a pattern of believer's baptism. Um, we're going to talk about this in a couple of moments, but the word in, in the Greek language for baptize, baptizo, it means to immerse. Like That's, that's what the word means. Um, but the next thousand years, baptism was not practiced this way. Um, basically what happened is Constantine came to power in the early 300s and he gave an edict called the Edict of Milan. You see that in 313 A.D. He basically made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so it became very easy to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, you gained something from being a Christian. See, they had just spent about 300 years having it cost you something to be a Christian. And so after the Edict of Milan, church uh, Christianity went from about 10%, went from about 10% of the population to about 90, like almost overnight. And so we have right to question about how genuine were all these conversions, right? Because suddenly it's helpful to be a Christian. Um... It became very popular. And then there's this mixed body doctrine. People began to think, well, you know, we just kind of baptize everybody. We baptize everybody. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, God will sort it all out. Uh, the problem is that passage in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares, is not referring to the church. It's referring to the world. And so if you read that parable, it becomes very clear. So at the end of the age, there will be a judgment. You know, the harvest will be brought in. The wheat will be separated from the tares. It wasn't referring to the church at all. It was referring to the whole world. And of course that's true. Um, so during this time, infant baptism rose. It became a, a symbol of the, and then apparently I forgot to finish my sentence. Infant baptism. Let's see if I can make one up really quick. Infant baptism rose. It became a symbol of the covenant community. So in other words, you think about in the Old Testament, there was circumcision. 
Circumcision was the outward sign that got you into the community. It got you into the community of Israel. Okay. And so there were people who were like, well, basically baptism is the new circumcision. Baptism is just the new sign. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. That's uh, not exactly how Baptists understand that. I, I, don't, I actually don't think that's, that can hold, hold up, but there are people who disagree with me. And then the Reformation came. Of course, we're skipping ahead a few hundred years. In 1517, the Reformation was kicked off. There was a return to the Scriptures. And then the printing press came about just a, a hundred or two hundred years before this. So more people are able to read the Bible for themselves. The Reformation happened. The Reformation says we don't return, we don't go to the church authorities necessarily. We return to the Word. The Word has the authority. Um, and, and whenever the popes contradict the Word, the Word wins. It's basically the, the, the thesis of the Reformation. And then there was a renewal. At this time, there was a renewal of believers' baptism. So around the time of the Reformation, believers' baptism came back on to the scene. And then come those pesky Baptists. Um, in England, they were separatists. That just means that they separated from the Church of England. Uh, many, many Baptists suffered persecution and were, some were killed for this separation from the Church of England. Um, <clears throat> they believed that the Church of England had become corrupt, and they could not in good conscience be a part of the Church of England. So they came out of the Church of England. They separated. They were separatists. Um, there were others in the same time who thought that they could, that they could, that they could reform the Church of England. Um, but many of the Baptists did not hold that view. And then, uh, with the Baptists came the notion, the idea, that the church is a visible institution. It's a visible picture. The church is a visible picture here on earth of what will be true in heaven one day. And so, if, if the church is going to be a picture... I apologize, friends. If the church is going to be a picture here and now of what is true in heaven, then the church has to be pure. The church has to be made up of those who are genuine believers. Why? Because only genuine believers will be in heaven. And so it, it is helpful and it shows a true picture of what will be true in heaven if we... As best as we can, and never do it perfectly, if we as best as we can show the world a picture today of what will be true in heaven. So that's why uh, the Baptists believe in regenerate church membership. Uh, what else? Okay, so the people of God, the notion that the church is a visible institution. So this has always been the case. Baptists just believe it needs to continue. The people of God in the Old Testament was Israel. It was a visible institution. And then, while Jesus walked the earth, it were his disciples. They, they followed him. It was a visible group of people who, who claimed the name of Christ in the early church. At Antioch, the people were first called Christians, which means little Christ. They were first called Christians. So it's a, a visible group of people. And then after Jesus' ascension, the church is formed. And so now the church is this visible group 
of, of people, and they are called to be outwardly holy. Now, we know none of us are perfect, right? The, the call is not a call to perfection, but it's a call to, to holiness, to be set apart, to be holy as God is holy. And so how do we make this outward testimony? How do we make this outward testimony? Through baptism and the Lord's Supper. We baptize those who show evidence that they are genuinely saved. We provide the Lord's Supper to those who are in good standing with the church and who give evidence of being genuine believers. That's why I remember, this is one of a very formative moment in my life, I remember as a child the time, I must have been five or six, when the communion plate passed by me and I wanted some because everybody, everybody else was doing it. And my mom kind of put her hand on my knee and said, not yet, son. And then later I was asking all kinds of questions. And I think that's why we do that, right? So, so that people can, can wonder why. And, and so when, when we do the Lord's Supper here, I would say to folks, if you're a believer in Christ, um, re- use this, partake in this, we extend this to you to reflect on the, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ. If you're not in Christ, we're going to ask you to let this plate pass by. And if you're curious about why we say that, would you just come talk to me? I'd love to talk to you about why we do that. Um, so clearly we're not going to run somebody out on a rail if they grab a wafer. But, but it is a very, very important sign. It's, it's a very important uh, picture. So uh, the 1644 London Confession of Faith said these words. Um, this is a Baptist Confession of Faith that uh, Peter Lumpkin said, Perhaps no confession of faith has had so formative an influence on Baptist life as this one. It says this, Christ has here on earth a spiritual kingdom. And by the way, these are not typos. This is just the Old English or the Middle English or whatever it is. So I've included it in the way that it was written. Which is the church, which he hath purchased and redeemed to himself as a peculiar inheritance. Uh, which, um, which church, as it is visible to us, is a company of visible saints called and separated from the world by the word and the spirit of God to the visible profession of faith uh, of the gospel, being baptized into that faith and joined to the Lord and to each other by mutual agreement in the practical enjoyment of the ordinances. In other words, why do we come together? To partake of the ordinances, to remember Christ, to hear the word of God, to be in mutual agreement with one another, to hold one another accountable. And he says it's commanded by Christ, their head and king. Anyway, I thought those of you history buffs and nerds like me might be interested in that. Here's what John Hammett. Um, John Hammett is a is a um, a theologian in Raleigh, North Carolina, or Wake Forest, North Carolina, Southeastern Seminary. I had lunch with him one day at a uh, little Chinese restaurant. I was trying to convince him to let me do a PhD under him, and I said, "Where would you like to go eat?" And he said, uh, "I've got a little." A Chinese restaurant out here. I said, well, let's go eat Chinese. Sounds great. Uh, the Lord kind of changed our plans a little bit. Wasn't able to pursue that at that time. But anyway, it's a great guy. He says this. The church referred to here is not the invisible church, uh, local, visible bodies. The lifestyle of the members of these churches is one of visible godliness. They live as believers ought to live. Baptism is the visible act in which one professes faith. Entering the church involves being joined to the Lord and to the other members in a covenant arrangement. So we talked about that last week. 
Church membership is a covenant where you come together with other people and say, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we need each other, we need to sharpen each other. Will you hold me accountable? I give you the keys to my life. Tell me if you see me not following Jesus. Correct me, bring me back, call me back. Anyway, thus, to be a member of a Baptist church, one, first of all, one has to be a genuine Christian, living as a Christian ought to live. Next, there has to be a visible profession of faith in believer's baptism. Then finally, the prospective member is expected to enter into the covenant with the church. So, those are just some words from him. Quoted him there. And my voice, my voice to text feature on my computer may have added a couple words, a couple of articles. I hope Dr. Hammett would not be upset with me for adding or taking away from his words. But that's the gist. So baptism, it's a symbol of a changed life. That's what we believe. We believe baptism is a symbol of a changed life. Believers the world over have submitted to baptism as a means of publicly professing Christ. Many have suffered and died for engaging in this simple act. I shared a video on Facebook this week. Those of you who are on Facebook may have seen it. Some of you may, may not have. But a baptism occurring in, in the northern parts of Russia where this pastor is out in the water with an axe and he's beating the ice. He's beating the ice loose, trying to make just enough water to immerse somebody, right? And, and it's, it's an incredible picture. I mean, you know it's cold. This is probably happening in the late spring or the summer. I mean, but it's still frozen over. I mean, who knows? But anyway, he's, he's, he's pounding this ice, and then he, he takes a shovel and scoops it out, and then the young man walks down into the water, and he baptizes him. Why would people be so crazy to do that? Because it's a picture of the gospel. It's a public profession of faith. It's how we obey what God says when He calls us to profess Christ before men. Um, you know, this is what I love about the old, the old days of going down to a creek and baptizing. Because it's almost like it's out there in public, right? It's a public profession. Or going, I was baptized in a, uh, in a swimming pool uh, by my grandfather because our church was undergoing a construction at that time and there was no baptistry. So we went down the road, had a baptismal service. Um, anyway, sweet memories. Um, but it's a picture. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says this, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too uh, might walk in newness of life. A little typo there. That two needs to be needs to have two O's. But we too might walk in newness of life. It's exactly what we say when we baptize somebody. Um, buried with Christ in the likeness of His death. Raised to walk in newness of life. So, a couple questions. What about infant baptisms? Maybe we know some folks who, who do this, who go to churches who do this. Maybe some Methodist friends or some Presbyterian friends um, who do the, either the infant baptisms or sprinklings or things like that. So, many wonder if the mode of baptism matters. And this is where... I'm, I'm not trying to be cantankerous, I'm, but I'm a Baptist, right? I, I, I'm, a ba I'm a pastor of a Baptist church because I believe this. So people can disagree. We preach the same gospel, hopefully, right? We're not, we're not at odds with one another. But I believe this picture is so important that it should be done a certain way, and here's, here's, here's why. Many wonder if the mode of baptism matters. But the question, however, isn't, isn't a question of mode, but of essence. Here's why. The Greek term baptizo, baptizo literally means to immerse. So whenever you think of the word baptize... It, it almost doesn't make any sense to say baptized by sprinkling. 
That, like, how do you immerse by sprinkling? That would be a lot of sprinkling happening at one time, right? So anyway, that's, in this sense, asking which mode of baptism is correct is almost like asking which mode of immersion is correct. I mean, in the early church, they baptized people face forward. I guess that would be fine, too. Mode of baptism, or face backward, you know. So, um, which mode of baptism? I don't. I don't even think is a is a coherent question because of what the word means. But anyway, while we would respect the imagery of sprinklings, right? So when we, you know, our, our Methodist friends or or uh, you know uh, friends of other denominations, that the sprinkling symbolizes the cleansing that Christ brings. We can respect that, right? We believe that Christ cleanses us. Um, we just get a little bit further down into the cleansing. I guess maybe us Baptists need a little more water. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, so all yeah, good little intramural discussions there. Uh, but um, but this is why we this is why we believe what we believe. Um, while we would respect the imagery of sprinklings as a picture of the cleansing that Christ brings, this we I believe we believe Baptists have historically believed it doesn't do full justice to the to the picture of the change that we have experienced with Christ. We've been buried with Him, right? The, the old man is dead. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been buried with baptism into His death, cleansed, raised to walk in newness of life. Okay? So, and then there, here's a couple different words. Pado-Baptist and Credo-Baptist. Pado-Baptist, of course, you know, Pado, children, infants, um... You think of pediatrics or things like that. Uh, Pado-Baptists are those who baptize infants. They see this as a sign of entrance into the covenant family of God. For them, it's the New Testament version of circumcision. Okay. So in other words, our Presbyterian friends, every, every two years in Louisville, uh, there's a, a group that gets together called Together for the Gospel. And it's largely Baptist and Presbyterians. There are some Anglicans, there are some other folks, evangelical Anglicans, Anglicans who, who still preach the gospel, who were there, other, de- other denominations, some free church folks, and some uh, evangelical free, and just all, all kinds of different denominations. But most of the speakers are Baptists and Presbyterians. Now, these folks, we would not allow one another into, member, into membership of each other's churches, but we're going to preach the same gospel so we get together and do conferences together and partner together to the ends of the earth for the ministry of the gospel, for the advance of the gospel, but we're just not together on, on what this picture means. Um, so, <clears throat> they believe, like a Presbyterian friends would believe, um, that, that it's the New Testament version of circumcision. Basically, in the Old Testament, there was circumcision, but in the New Testament, there is baptism. A couple different reasons why. Uh, let's see, where, where do I where do I deal with that? Um, I'm going to deal with that down under Credo Baptist. Why why there's a little difference of opinion? Aside from the passages in New Te- in the New Testament where it says the households are spoken of as being baptized. So you think in the Book of Acts. Uh, the jailer becomes saved, and it, it says he and all his household were baptized. Okay, It still doesn't say that that necessarily means that infants were in his household and they were all baptized. We, we would just take that to mean that all of the people in his household believed the gospel. They were old enough to understand and believe the gospel, and they too followed their father in being baptized. But anyway, that's really the only biblical evidence... That, that our Pado-Baptist friends can give for 
baptisms happening uh, among infants in the New Testament and doesn't, doesn't really come out and say that. There is no biblical evidence aside from this of this practice, and it doesn't seem to have been practiced for the first two to three hundred years of church history. Okay, so it really only came to be practiced once Constantine became um, became uh, emperor, and people started baptizing far and wide. You know, any so anyway. Uh, this is the Cliff Notes version of church history, by the way. Credo Baptist, that's us, right? Credo means creed. Those who baptize those who have come to believe. So um, to creed also has to do with belief. The, the, the word for credo kind of means faith and belief. Those who baptize believers, that's, that would be us. Uh, a reply to Pado Baptist would look like this. In the Old Testament, Israel was given the sign of circumcision as an outward sign of their nationality and, yes, as the people of God. However, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, New Covenant, baptism symbolizes something different than circumcision did in the Old Testament. In other words, if you were part of Israel in the Old Testament, whether or not you were a God-fearer, if you were just ethnically Jewish, you took on that sign. And so we know from our study in Ezra and Nehemiah that not everybody in Israel is exactly following God, right? Not everybody is exactly fearing Yahweh, who's part of that Israel, right? And so it, it means something different. Uh, we see in, in Genesis 17, 10 through 13, it says, Every male among you, and it, it, tells, it tells, the Israelites to, to, tells the Israelites to baptize even their servants who worked for them and, and their distant family members, okay? This was not a sign of those who were actually followers of God. It was a sign of who is in this group called Israel. And we know from Romans 2.28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. In other words, circumcision didn't refer to a spiritual change like baptism does. Baptism refers to the spiritual change that happens in you when God saves you. Circumcision did not. It referred to the marker of who's in this people. Um, and then uh, down at the bottom, the New Testament does have a covenant community. It, Israel in the Old Testament is a covenant community. In the New Testament, the New Testament does have a covenant community. It's called the church. And the church is made up of those who have been changed by God. So, this community is not intended to make up both believers and their unbelieving children, relatives, or servants. That's why we believe in... Regenerate church membership, and that's why we baptize folks uh, who have, you know, not want to baptize Quorum and Judah until they're old enough to understand. And if they do, if the Lord, if the Lord grants them repentance, which we're praying for every day. So, last page. Where is baptism in the Bible? Let's look to a few, few passages. Got to get to some Bible. Acts chapter two, verse forty-one. So, those who received His word were baptized. Okay. In other words, it's spoken of this way as the people who got baptized were the people who received the word of God. And they were added, there, there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. The ones spoken of as being baptized are those who received the word in faith. In other words, those who were converted, those who became believers that day. Acts 8.12 But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So there's another pattern when they believed. Seems to be the main thrust of the New Testament. 
Acts 8.36. See, here's water. This is the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's traveling. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Uh, they both went down into the water. Okay, so there's a little, little biblical evidence for there has to be sufficient water there to, to immerse. There's, there's no evidence in the New Testament of sprinkling. Uh, Acts 10.47. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So there you go. Withholding water for baptizing these people. And these people, why are they candidates for baptism? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised him, uh, I'm sorry, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power, a little typo, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. It's another passage we might use at a baptismal service. And then Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, um, friends, at the end of the age, we may get to heaven and find out that we, we didn't have it all 100% nailed down. I mean, I kind of think we stand on pretty solid ground. But the reality is, we're seeking to honor the Lord through what has been revealed in His Scriptures, through the way that we do church membership and the way that we do baptism. To finish, I want to read something, a very, very powerful little story about baptism. From page 223, this is it's called To the Golden Shore, The Life of Adoniram Judson. He was a Baptist missionary. You think about the courage of this guy. He was a Congregationalist from New England back in the day. He was going to Burma. It's like near modern-day India. He was going to Burma to be a missionary. While he was on the boat on the way to Burma... As he was studying the scriptures, he became convinced of believer's baptism. All of the congregationalist churches that had given him money to go, that were supporting him and making sure he had enough food, he knew as soon as he got off the boat, he wrote a letter and sent it back telling them that he had, he had become convinced of believer's baptism. He risked losing all of his support. I believe he lost it from the congregationalist churches because he believed this was such a valuable picture of conversion that he couldn't, he said, biblical picture of baptism or all my support, I'm going to have to go with the Bible, come what may. Incredible courage. His life is, is, worth, uh, is worth reading. He went to, I believe he went to the university that is now Brown University. It, was, it wasn't called that back then. But anyway, um, there was a man named Mwang Now who became a convert after, I believe, I think it will tell me here, after, I believe, six years. He was there for six years before anyone believed and trusted in Christ. Out of his, he lost three wives while he lived there. Um, in a row, right? <laughs> gotta, be, gotta be careful. <laughs> says this. They did. On the 6th of June, a Sunday, only a little more than a month after appearing at the Zayat, which I think is like a hut, Mwang now bashfully presented Adoniram with a letter. That evening, after communion, all the missionaries but the dying Wheelock, whose brother who, who passed away there, assembled to listen to it. Adoniram translated it aloud. I 
Mwang now, a constant recipient of your excellent favor, approach your feet. Whereas my lords, three have come to the country of Burma, not for the purpose of trade, but to preach the religion of Jesus Christ, the Son of the eternal God. I, having heard and understood, am with a joyful mind filled with love. I believe that the divine Son, Jesus Christ, suffered death in the place of men to atone for their sins. Like a heavy laden man, I feel my sins are very many. The punishment of my sins I deserve to suffer. And since it is so, do you, sirs, consider that I, taking refuge in the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving baptism in order to become his disciple, shall dwell with yourselves, a band of brothers, in the happiness of heaven, and grant me the ordinance of baptism? It is through the grace of Christ that you, sirs, have come by ship from one country and continent to another, and that we have met together. I pray, my lords, three, that a suitable day may be appointed, and that I may receive the ordinance of baptism. As it is only since I have met with you, sirs, that I have known about the eternal God, I venture to pray that you will still unfold to me the religion of God, that my old disposition may be destroyed and my new disposition improved. Um, I need to I need to find okay there is after he delivered this letter to them there was some governmental there was some upheaval something a lot of bustle in the town that prevented them from baptizing right away but on Sunday June 27th 1819 Mueng now was baptized it said this, One baptism was not much to show for six years' work. But as Adoniram and Mwang now returned, dripping to the mission house, followed by Nancy, the Colemans, and the rest of the company, he hoped, Oh, may it prove the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire, which shall continue in the uninterrupted succession until the end of time. I need to read a, a paragraph right before that because it's also powerful about his baptism. The whole party then left the Zayat and proceeded to a large pond nearby on the bank of which stood a huge statue of Buddha. Here with the Buddha benignly looking down on the scene, Adoniram led Mwang now waist deep into the dark water, immersed him, and received him into the Baptist faith while a wandering crowd of gaily clad Burmans watched from the hill above. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the gospel. And you've given us a picture of the gospel in baptism. God, I'm not going to be bashful as I pray to you and I ask, would you pour out your spirit on the ministry of this church and on the preaching from the pulpit of this church and on the interpersonal relationships represented in this church so that others in this community can come to know Christ and so that they might come in here and be baptized into the, the faith so that they might bring their friends to see them declare Christ publicly and that their friends might ask more questions, and then become baptized and believe in Jesus and desire baptism. Lord, this is no small picture. And I pray that every time the waters in the baptistry behind me get stirred because you have stirred in the heart 
of someone, I pray, God, that such a witness would go out and that we would never think small thoughts of baptism. That we would see that it's a very it's a picture of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, and we get to join in it by being buried, dying, cleansed, and raised to walk just like Jesus was. God, would you do it here? Would you save sinners? Would you cause gospel conversations to occur? For the, name, for the sake of your name. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.